Blog Talk Radio.
Well, if that didn't put you in the mood, nothing will. Welcome to Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio and my special edition Christmas show. And um, my phone's going crazy, and um, I'm just trying to have a little bit of sense about the show. Um, We have some special guests today, um, and I'm really excited to have Janet Elaine Smith, who is an accomplished published author, and she's going to be ringing, um, reading, reading, not ringing, (laughs) reading, towards the night before Christmas, and then... um, her her son, I mean, the the talent in the family is just amazing. Um, her son is an accomplished chef and has started a new business making specialized chef knives and different kinds of things. And he's going to be on talking about some cooking tips and some things that we could do for the festivities and all that. And um, meanwhile, let me bring both of them on because we have a lot to cover in this hour. And uh, I think Santa might be coming by too. I'm not really sure. Janet and Kevin, are you there? I'm here. Kevin's out in the other room. He'll be here when I get done. Uh, He'll be there in a minute. Welcome to the show, Janet. (laughs) Happy Christmas. I'm so glad you're here today. Yeah, I'm super glad. Yeah, no, did you like like that... uh, did you like that intro? That I had to play the boss. Come on, everyone knows, you know, you have to listen to uh, Bruce Springsteen a little bit once in a while over the holidays. Oh, since we're yeah. doing tonight, Christmas is perfect to have Santa coming to town because yeah, we all know he is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, um, um, the question is, Holly, have you been good? <laughs> I have been good. I've absolutely been good, and um, I I think this is going to be a really well, good year. I work at it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, tell tell our readers a little bit about who you are, Janet, and your website and uh, the books that you've published, because you're an amazing author, and it's well, a you. it's a privilege um, to have you on reading this today. I have two different websites that I'm going to refer people to. The first one is mm-hmm. my main website, which I finally got updated for Christmas, and it's at www.janetelainesmith.com, about mm-hmm. as simple as it can get. But the other one is Janet E. Smith Starbooks.tripod.com, and you will see links from my regular uh, website to get there, too. But that one is strictly for my books, and you can read the first chapter of each of the books there so you can tell which ones appeal to you. And um, this time of year I get really excited because I love doing Christmas books and I love reading Christmas books. And I do have two Christmas books out. One is... A Christmas Dream, which is my favorite. I have written and published 24 books so far. And A Christmas Dream is my favorite of all of them. It's just mm-hmm. like a magical book. <laughs> I can't explain oh, it. Oh, it is. And the other one is very different from anything I've ever seen, but then nobody ever accused me of being normal. Uh, it's A Lumberjack Christmas Revisited. And the first half of it tells about... Uh, is a historical part that tells about a logging camp and people at the logging camp when it first started back in the 1800s. And then the second half follows the same family that were in the first part, but it's three generations later, so it's a contemporary part. And if we have time enough, I'm going to read a short excerpt from uh, the first part of it. It's a really fun one. Yeah, no, that sounds really, really good. I. I know these books are really special and near and dear to your heart too, and they're really amazing, fun Christmas books. And 
Um, you have right now um, just revamped your website that you've got some new things up there, right? Right. There's an article yeah. up there, and you'll see a link to it on the towards the top on the home page with a, a pretty good article, I think, on uh, book reviews and the value of them. Mm-hmm. You know, we get, as authors, we are kind of paranoid, and if somebody says something negative about one of our books, we get as protective as we would if they were fighting with our kids. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, um, I know. I hear you on that but one. Sometimes there <laughs> are things that are said in even a negative review that can be helpful to a writer in improving their writing. Yeah, I I agree with you on that one. I get I get that all the time. It's like you sometimes get things from other people's suggestions. Um, the thing that bothers me the most is when somebody says something negative, and you can tell they never read the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 get, drives me crazy. Then I get angry. Yeah. <laughs> mhm, mhm. Well, you know, according to Twas the Night Before Christmas, you know, it was really funny because last night as I was um, Christmasing. Um, I was. I heard this show on TV, and it was all about how Christmas became what it was, and that basically that it really started in New York, and um, about Clement Clark Moore, who wrote the immortal poem, and it's origi- was originally right. called A Visit from St. Nicholas, right. known as The Night Before Christmas, yeah, for his family on Christmas Eve, 1822. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he never intended to publish the book, but a family friend learned the poem and um, she copied it into her album and submitted it to the editor of the New York um, uh, Troy, which is New York Centennial. And it first made its appearance in print on December twenty third, eighteen twenty three. Now he wrote he wrote the. Um, uh, a visit from St. Nicholas the night be- Christmas Eve, and then a year later, 1823, it was um, actually published. And then the poem began to be reprinted in other newspapers and all kinds mm-hmm. of things. And um, it makes you wonder how many rejections he got before yeah, it was published. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's crazy, and it's saying that um, in part of the in part of the poem and part of the book that was written, where we have changed it to say Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. It was originally written Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. So well, that's the British keeping, thing is Happy yeah, Christmas. Yeah, and so keeping with the um, tradition, you know, um, I just found it really interesting. And then I was finding more about that he just basically really wanted this this to be something that he wanted to create for people, and um, well, he then, wrote I, for and his then children I originally, I think. Yeah. Then I heard. Then I heard about the Christmas tree. I heard that the first Christmas tree came to America because um, they saw um, one of the princess and um, princess and posing in front of their family portrait in front of an evergreen tree, and the evergreen mm-hmm. came to America that way, and um, then. Um, <laughs> I mean, it goes on and on and on about how Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was originally written as a different song, and that song mm-hmm. kind of became really big and stuff. But um, I'm just, like, blown away at how, you know, all these different things have happened. And yeah. so... Yeah. Something I heard this morning on TZ, on, yeah. was, they were talking about how 
originally uh, in um, Norway. Uh-huh. Odin, of course, was one of the, the Norwegian gods, and Odin was supposedly had a horse that would fly through the sky. Yeah. Reindeer a came six-footed from. horse, six feet, six feet, right? Yeah. That was what mm-hmm. it had, six feet. Yeah, and then yeah. they changed, America changed it to reindeer, and, um, and then Rudolph was created because somebody started writing a song about a red-nosed reindeer. Yeah, and he didn't want, and he refused. He refused to record that song, and his wife talked him into it, and he put it on the B side of the album, and it sold more records than any record he ever had. Isn't that well, funny? Every behind every man, there's a every successful man, there's a good woman. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Even a cowboy. <laughs> no, totally. And you know, so with all that being said, I think it's really important. I think let's get in the let's um, see let's get in the mood here and um, see if we can get in the mood for uh, some of the um, Christmas stuff to be happening. Um, and Santa's coming, and yeah, so I thought we could do, I thought we could do the reading, um, okay, Twas the Night Before Christmas, I think it might be really kind of fun, you know, to, uh, have that happen, yeah, because, you know, oh, I think Santa's here, <laughs> so Janet, you want to start come by way of northern Wisconsin first, yeah, you want to start reading it a little bit? Okay. Can you this hear it over the, over the jingle bells? It. <laughs> <laughs> it was the night Got before it? Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds. The visions of surplums danced through their heads. Mama and her kerchief and mine and my cap had just settled in for a long winter's nap. And out on the lawn there arose such a clatter. I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash to open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave a luster of midday to obvious glow. And what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and a tiny reindeer. With the little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, of course, as they came. And he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all, as dry leaves that before the wind wild hurricanes fly. When they meet with an obstacle... Mount to the sky. So up on the house top, of course, they flew with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas, too. And when in the twinkling I heard on the roof, prancing and dancing with each little hoof, as I turned my head and was turning around, on the chimney, St. Nicholas came with a pound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back. And he looked like a peddler just opening his sack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. Sandy, you shouldn't drink so much that your nose turns like a cherry. <laughs> <laughs> and his droll little mouth was drawn out like a bow. And the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. 
the slump of a pipe. He held tight in his teeth, and the smoke had encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was stubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings and turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh to his team gave oh, a whistle. Oh, 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 oh. And away they all flew like uh, the down from a, of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim as he drove our sight, Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. That was great. I love that. I can still I can still hear Sam like flying through the air, you know, he's like he's he's like he's like going around the world today, that's for sure. He's already started. It's already yep. Christmas in New Zealand and um and other places. It's uh oh, oh, you know, oh, oh, oh. God <laughs> Sam is very jolly. Um that's so Can you see his dog shaking? I can't see it from here. <laughs> yeah, no. And you've had you've had a really um good year this year. You've like um written some really cool stuff and uh mm-hmm. recovered um from a trial and error in your life and we're glad you're still here. We really are. Oh so my, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, very much so. You know what I thought we could do before um I bring Kevin on, and we read um, another expert from your book. Can I play a song real quick? Please. I'm gonna play a really. I'm gonna play a really quick song. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Okay, and I'll then I want to hear a lumberjack Christmas and that. So let's listen to this real quick. This song really okay. got to me this year. It's so beautiful. Okay. That your baby boy would save our sons and daughters Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you deliver will soon deliver you
When had he become so important to her? She knew she had no right to him, but her heart said differently. Somehow he had managed to become an important part of her life, life almost from the moment they met at the hotel in Hibbing. Now he was all mm-hmm. she had. She had found a haven with him, and she wasn't about ready to forsake the place now. He could beg all he wanted to, but he couldn't walk out of her life that easily. You can't leave, she said, turning to face him with every ounce of courage she could muster. Not now, not ever. She sat down, realizing uh, from his uh-huh. expression that he, she had surprised both of them. She had a mind of her own, and he knew that, but this was overly forceful, even for Martha. What are you talking about, Byron asked, his bright eyes twinkling with merriment. Those eyes, Martha thought they could melt the biggest icicle in the entire north woods. You didn't tell me you were leaving, she said accusingly. You were just going to walk out, right out of camp out of my life without telling me, without even saying goodbye. Byron laughed, Martha glared at him. But her anger softened. Whenever he laughed, she knew he could do anything he wanted to, and she couldn't stop him. The laugh had her captivated. It was, she mused, one of his most endearing qualities. You thought I was leaving for good, he asked. You aren't, Martha said, beginning to feel foolish. Of course not, he replied, unless you want to return to civilization. Martha gulped. Was he saying that he would be willing to leave or to stay, depending on her whims? Was it possible that he had come to love her as she was sure she had grown to love him? No, Martha cried out. I've never been happier than I am right here. I want to stay here forever. With you, her heart added. Then it spilled, Byron said. I will leave as soon as I get some food in me to keep me warm on the trip. I'll return tomorrow, weather permitting. Maya, who had been hurrying to fry venison, sausage, and flapjacks for them, set the plates piled high in front of them. How can I be sure you'll come back, Martha asked, the worries slipping out before she could stop them. If you're really that worried, Byron said, I'll take Hilmer with me. You know I couldn't get away from him. That's a wonderful idea, Martha exclaimed. She knew if Helmer went into Hibbing, there was no way he would fail to return to Sawbill Landing. It was his life. It was everything he held dear. She knew if Helmer went with him, Byron would be back. More importantly, it wasn't a good idea to go alone in the unpredictable winter weather. Would you accompany the doctor into Hibbing, please? When Helmer laughed, it was as if every tree in the forest trembled. I had already told the good doctor that he couldn't go alone and that I would go with him, he said, spoiling the fun of the doctor, who was having teasing Martha. Martha looked down uh, embarrassed that uh-huh. she had shown such little confidence in Byron. Of course, he knew it was far too dangerous to make such a trip alone. He knew the backwoods in northern Minnesota, but far better than she did. Yet her instincts told her that it was indeed dangerous. But if anybody could bring her Byron back, she knew it was Elmer. Martha blushed. Her mind flooded back to the day Maya had called him her Byron. Was it contagious? It was the first time she had openly admitted to herself that was exactly what he had become, her Byron. The very breath of her life, it seemed almost impossible that they had known each other such a short time. But then she thought of Maya Nuno. Was it possible that she and Byron might one day share the same deep love they had for one another, or did they already possess it? As Byron took the last bite of food from his plate, he stood up and said to Elmer, Well, shall we get started? It's a good ride into town. We don't want to have to stay more than one day. Christmas is coming and the goose is getting fat, he sang to the English girl. Martha chuckled. She knew what she would do while he was gone. It was a perfect thing to occupy her time until he returned. Oh, yes, this is going to be a very good Christmas. My Aunt Martha stood at the tiny doorway of the shanty and watched as Hilmer and Byron each astride their horse waved goodbye. They waved back to them and called back, hurry home. We have a lot to do while we're gone, Mar- while they're gone, Martha said. Do you have any extra flour? Of course, the men always see that we have more than enough before the winter sets in. What else do you need? Sugar? Yes, Maya replied, although not a lot. I can't use it very often. 
suddenly her eyes lit up as bright as the candles on the Christmas tree of Martha's bygone days in Boston. I have something very special. She scurried over to the cupboard and pulled the bottom bin open. She reached way down into it, then pulled her flower-covered arm back out. In her hand, she held a cheesecloth-wrapped parcel, which she carried to the table. She slowly unwrapped it, and several chunks of a deep, rich brown substance clunked onto the wooden planks. What is that? Martha asked. It's my Christmas present from Uno, she said, her eyes overflowing with tears. He didn't know I saw him put it there before. She couldn't continue. Martha went to her and put her arms around her, drawing her friend into a warm embrace. It, Maya said, stammering. It's maple sugar. He made it for the last spring when the sap was Oh, how cool. He told me he had something very special for me, but he wouldn't tell me what it was. I saw Mm -hmm. him in the cupboard one day. He heard me. So he slammed the bin shut and turned around to face me a grin from ear to ear on his face. When I asked him what he was doing, he said, nothing, but his arms were covered with flour. Just like yours are now, Martha said, laughing. Maya brushed the white powder off her red and black wool shirt. Through her tears, she too laughed. Yes, just like mine. So you want to investigate, Martha asked. Yes, Maya confessed, but only after we went to the woods. I didn't want him to know I found out his secret. I didn't want to spoil his surprise. She paused. Ever since I've been a little girl, I've ne- I could never stand surprises. I had to know what Santa Claus was bringing me. He always seemed to come early. One year when my mother discovered that I had found the presents, she explained that he had to visit some homes early or he wouldn't be able to get the gifts to everyone on time. And you believed her? Oh, yes, she did it. She said if I ever did that again, he would not have any gifts from me. Maya smiled. And I never looked for presents ahead of time again, not until this year. Maya went to the drawer and took out a large knife. She pushed with all her might on the brown block until a piece finally broke loose. Here, she said, handing it to Martha. Try us. It's the most heavenly taste. No, Martha, you eat it, Martha said, refusing to take it. It's yours from Uno. Maya cut another piece off. Okay, we'll do it together, she said, holding one piece to her mouth and handing the other piece to Martha. Okay, Martha said, on the count of three. One, two, three. Both women bit into the same sugar at the same instant. Mmm, Maya said. Ooh, Martha agreed. You're right. It's wonderful. It would be perfect in cookies. The two women sat at the table like sisters and ate one bite after another before they knew it. They consumed the entire block. Maya put the knife on sh- up to carve off another sliver. Oh, my, she exclaimed. I, believe, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. We did, Martha asked, her face registering surprise. It was just so good I couldn't stop. Now, what were you asking about the sugar for, Maya asked. The two women sat laughing, and that's the way they were when the men arrived for breakfast. For the first (laughs) time since Maya had arrived in camp, there was nothing prepared for the men to eat. I'll have some oats cooked for you in five minutes, she said, screaming to get the big kettle and dump the water from the bucket into it. She took it to the pot belly stove and set it on the platform on top of it, praying that it would heat faster than usual. Marissa went to the cupboard and got out bowls. All we're having is oats, one of the men grumbled, and that's supposed to last us all day in the woods. My grandfather back in the old country used to say that if you had a good bowl of oats, it would stick to your ribs all day. So yes, in honor of my grandfather at Christmas time, you're eating oats today. She went to the stove and dumped the oats into the kettle. Thank you, she whispered as she looked upwards. For some reason, it was already boiling. Neither Maya nor Martha was the least bit hungry. Good thing we packed lunches for the men, Maya said. It sure is, Martha said, quick to agree. I don't think I could possibly look food in the face. Maya laughed. Food doesn't have a face, she said, looking puzzled. 
We could have carved faces into that maple sugar, Martha said. Yes, but we wouldn't want to eat our friends, Maya joked. It was like we were, she groped for the word she wanted. Cannibals, Martha said. Cannibals, Maya repeated. Okay, I learned my new word for today. <laughs> I'm sure it came in very handy, too, Martha said, grunting and giggling. She didn't know what had gotten into them, but they were both as punchy as could be. Suppose there was something bad in that sugar, Martha asked. Don't think so, Maya replied. If there was something bad in it, it wouldn't feel as good as I do now. You're right, Martha said, still not too sure of it. She had heard about people who were drunk, but she'd never really seen any of them. She certainly How were they never like balls, little balls, herself. rum balls, like rum balls? But she imagined that if she were drunk, she would feel like she did now. Nothing mattered. She didn't think about what the, the cheesecloth and what it had been soaked in. It was mm-hmm. like being in a state of euphoria. It didn't even matter if I went in. Byron, she shouted, then grabbed her head. The sound of her own voice made her head feel like it was going to split right down the middle. Byron is gone. Suddenly, with no warning, she was sobbing uncontrollably. There, there, Maya said, trying to console her. He said he'd be back, and I do think that Byron is a man of his word. You think so, Martha asked? I know so. Has he ever let you down? Martha began to laugh again. Yes, he did once, the day we got here. What did he do? He let me down, off his horse, Martha said, tears rolling down her face. But now they were not tears of sorrow, they were tears from laughing so hard. It was the best down I've ever had. She rocked back and forth. He held me in his arms almost like we were dancing. I've never learned to dance, my admitted. Do you think you could teach me? It's easy, Martha said, but we need music. With that, the women began to sing, creating their own music. Martha got to her feet, only to fall back to the bench by the table. Maybe we'd better do it some other day. Maybe, Martha Maya said, her own head reeling, too. Byron walked into the whole hotel and him causing the bell to ding-dong his arrival. Helga Anderson came out from the kitchen, wiping her hands on her apron. She smiled warmly when she saw him. You're done out at Sawville Landing, she asked. How bad was it? Pretty bad, Byron said, rubbing his hands together over the big black pot-belly stove that sat in the middle of the room. Boy, it's cold out there. A lot of men died, John Anderson said as he joined his wife. Too many, Byron said. If only I could have gotten there sooner. But you were able to save some of them, John asked. Quite a few, Byron said. Not enough, but quite a few. And Miss Tinker, John asked. She, the question was left unspoken, but Byron knew immediately what he was asking. Oh, no, Byron said emphatically. She, she's just fine. He laughed as he pictured her working side by side with him to save the lives of the men she knew nothing about. He's sobered. I'm sorry, I'm afraid, however, that her fiancé, Max Wilson, didn't fare as well. He, re- he hesitated, realizing again how devastating it was for Martha to learn that the only person she had any ties to in the whole world had forsaken her, even though he had no say in the matter. You couldn't save him, Helga asked. He was already dead. She phoned him that way. So where is she, Helga asked. You dropped her off at the stage? No, Byron said. She's much too stubborn for her own good. She decided to stay in Sawbell Landing. Until spring, John asked. Until whenever, Byron replied. She says not. She, she's not leaving. Why ever not? John asked, scratching his head. There's nothing to stay for, not if her man up and died. There's me, Byron said, grinning slightly. But you're here, John said. You're surely not going back there. They need me, Byron said, as if, as if that explained everything. Maybe it did. He was a compassionate man if you looked beneath the surface, the kind that made good doctors. So why are you here, John asked. I came to get supplies, Byron said. Christmas supplies. He grinned again. I figure those little kids, there's six of them out there, all part of one family. And they lost their daddy in this mess. They need somebody to show them some Christmas cheer. So I decided I might as well be the one to do it. What do you need, Helga asked, getting into the mood. I've baked a lot of goodies. Take some of them back with you. What can I do, John asked. 
Well, see, it was slated in my burn until just before spring thaws set in. You got it, John said. You fixing to take that much stuff back with you? I thought I'd take Martha the things he brought with her from Boston. I know she'd like to have them. He laughed. You should see her. She's become a real lumberjack herself, all dressed up in men's wool trousers and a red and black checkered shirt. It's about six sizes too big for her. She could go out in the woods with Helmer and fit right in. John laughed with him, trying to picture the petite Martha Tinker standing alongside the giant Helmer Finseth. There wasn't a person in Hibbing who didn't know Helmer Finseth. He wasn't a man you easily forgot. Oh, do you have a room? Helmer came with me. And we plan to spend the night. We'll head out early tomorrow morning. It's nice the good Lord was with us to give us such a pretty day. John studied mm-hmm. the doctor carefully. When Martha had said she found him, they answered her for her prayers, even though they weren't even uttered yet. Byron had scoffed at her. What had caused him to change his mind? Had the good doctor gone and gotten religion? If so, where? Certainly not in the middle of such a, a bunch of heathen men out in some logging camp. Of course you can have a room. Helmer want one, too. Helga hurried to offer. We'll bunk together, Byron said. It's cheaper that way. Just then, Helmer walked into the hotel lobby, letting out a yellow. Yowch! as his head bumped the top of the door frame. Welcome, John said, extending his head to the giant, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. Helmer said, it's a good one, it is. I'd better get busy if we're going to find everything I want to take back with me, Byron said. You coming along, he asked Helmer. Yeah, sure, there's not much to do here, Helmer said as he walked out and bumped his head again. Damn doors, he sputtered, rubbing the top of his head. They made their first stop the General Mercantile store. Byron walked in up to the clerk and asked, Do you have a red wool suit? The clerk looked him over, his eyes wandering up and down, measuring him for size. Nope, can't say as we do. He said, what you want it for? For Christmas, Byron said, as if they had explained everything. The clerk laughed at him with a puzzled expression. I've got to pay Santa Claus for some little kids out at Sawbill Landing, Byron explained. From what their mother told me, the old saint always wore a red wool suit. You don't have anything at all that might work. The clerk's mind raced, trying to figure out what he had that might work. He drew a complete blank. He didn't have any, He didn't have an actual suit of any kind. He certainly didn't have a red wool one. One earth was worth such a thing, anyway. What you got there, Pa? A little old lady said as she came in to the from the back room. Santa Claus, the clerk, clerk replied, can't you tell? He lost his red wool suit and says he needs oh, a new one. Oh, 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 oh. But that's only a few days <laughs> off, the clerk's wife said, not even a week. We have some fine red wool yardage, but there's hardly enough time to make a whole suit, not by Christmas time. She glanced around the store, her eyes pausing here and there as she tried to figure out a feasible solution. Suddenly her eyes lit up and she almost ran to the other side of the store. Here, she said, grabbing something bright red and carrying it over to Byron. He looked at it, allowing it to unfold and drop open in front of him. He held it up and discovered that she had handed him red flannel long johns. Well, they were red. Oh, wow. So is this part of the book? Is this part of the book you're reading? Or yeah. Which, which book yeah, is it? Lumberjack Christmas, right? Yeah. And if you so guys want to hear the rest of this, there, the said, yeah, it's a pretty awesome book. Byron said, but the rest of them, they're, they're tough. I'm almost done here. They'll make it through the little ones that need a visit from Santa Claus. They lost their father. I thought maybe I could make it a little easier for him. He reached into his money for the pocket, his pocket for the money for the long johns. He didn't have much money left, as most of the men hadn't been able to pay him yet for his services. He began, began to count her out, asking how much is it. One dollar, the clerk answered, then groaned when his wife jabbed him in the stomach with her elbow and cleared her throat. <clears throat> but since it's Christmas and all, you can have them for... There ain't no charge for them, the woman said. 
was done right on Christmas, like towards Santa Claus or something, just days before the holiday. That's right, the clerk said, his face red. Byron wasn't sure if he was angry or ashamed. Either way, Byron was glad for the gift. And the children, they'll thank you, Byron said. The clerk wrapped it in brown paper and tied a string around it. Merry Christmas, he said as he handed it to Byron. Byron wondered just how far their Christmas spirit would go when he pondered their next, his next move. He glanced around and saw Helmer sitting in a corner by the stove playing dominoes with several other men. He could always call him to help if things got out of hand. Well, he wouldn't go too far, but he was still doing okay, so he tried once more. I'd like to get some candies for the children, too, he said, testing his luck just a little farther. The woman opened the glass jars and poured a scoop of assorted candies from each one into a big white cloth bag. Then she took another bag and filled it with apples and oranges. They were expensive, as Byron knew. They had been brought up from Texas. Go in pieces, she, she said as she handed them to Byron, and God be with you. Thank you, Byron said, motioning to Homer that he was leaving. I'll see you at the hotel, Helmer called back. I'm zinning. I'm not going to leave now. See you later, Byron said as he made an exit. He walked up onto the street, pulling his hat down and his coat collar up. The wind had picked up a little, and the cold blew right through him. He looked up and down and smiled as he saw the latest addition to the town. Hardware, the sign said. Perfect. He knew what that meant. He walked into the store and called out, Anybody here? Back here came a deep male voice. Byron went in the direction of the voice, and and stood face to face with a man kneeling and a corpse. As a doctor, he knew that most hardware stores also house a local mortuary. Fortunately, this one was no different. The body in the coffin was that of an elderly woman. Byron smiled as he looked at her. Not only was she was very dead, but she was perfect. Dr. Byron Ferguson, he said, extending his hand to the hardware manager, who also doubled as the mortician. You're a doctor, the man asked, a smile forming on his face. The saints be praised is what this town needs. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Byron said. Yes, I'm a doctor, but I'm just here for the day. I'm returning to Sawbell Landing for a thing tomorrow morning. Sawbell Landing, the man asked Byron, assumed that he was new in town or even heard about the logging camp. It's a logging camp, Byron said. You mean the logging camp has its own doctor, but a town like Hibbing doesn't? Guess so, Byron said, and I'll just go ahead with what you were doing. I don't know how to do it. Just look at this. He grabbed the woman's hair which was pure white and so full and bushy there was no way to control it. She always wore it wound up tight around her head, but I can't figure out how to get it back that way. I washed it, and this is what happened. I think I have a solution, Byron said. Do you have a pair of scissors? Yes, the man said, getting up off the floor and going to a wooden box that contained more medical utensils than Byron had. He reached and pulled out a pair of surgical scissors. this do? Perfect, Byron said, grabbing a big clump of the woman's hair and chopping it off. How much do you want for it? For what, the man asked. The hair, Byron said. You want a dead woman's hair, the man asked. What kind of man are you, anyway? I need it for Santa Claus, Byron said, making it sound perfectly logical. He proceeded to cut off more of the hair until it was quite manageable. I don't know, the man said, suddenly overtaken by an urge to participate in whatever little plot this strange man, who claimed to be a doctor, had up his sleeve. It's for the man himself, I suppose. I really can't charge you for it. He wanted to ask what he was going to do with it, but thought it better if it kept quiet. Byron stuffed the hair into his jacket and left, thanking the man for his help. Glad you're in town, he said as the door swung shut. Byron walked down the street to the barber shop. He went inside and greeted the barber. Shaving a haircut, the barber asked. Nope, Byron said, I need a beard. The barber laughed at him. This man was as clean-shaven as anybody he'd ever seen. It'll take a while, he said, probably at least a good month to grow one out. I only have a few days, Byron said, reaching into his pocket and pulling out the mass of white hair. Can you make one out of this? The barber shrugged his shoulders. Never have before, but I guess I could try. What's it for? 
Santa Claus, Byron said, heading for the door. I'll stop by first thing in the morning to pick it up. And he was gone just like that, leaving the barber with a handful of long, white, fluffy beard to make a, a beard for Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, how funny. <laughs> That's funny. So um, is that is that... What part is that is that of the book? Uh, what part chapter, did you read? Chapters 10 and 11 in the first part, the historical part. Oh, awesome. And the second well, part, like I said, is the same family. The Martha and, and Byron get married at the end of the first mm-hmm. part. And oh, then three awesome. generations well, later, they are having all kinds of trouble. Um, they're living in Hibbing, and the couple that are the great-grandson of Byron and mm-hmm. Martha. Uh, they have a little girl, and she overhears them talking about getting a divorce, so she's all upset. And the little girl's grandfather lives with them, and Grandma is in the nursing home and hasn't talked for months. And so Grandpa's all upset about that. And even the dog won't get won't move off of Davenport, so if anybody needed miracles, they did. <laughs> and there's oh, wow. Is a tree that Hilmer Fence has decorated every year. It was the, the tallest tree in the forest, and he mm-hmm. would go out and he'd decorate it with bird uh, birds' nests and all kinds of natural things. And that was their Christmas tree at the logging camp. And Grandma, the only thing she would say was she kept telling them, "You have to go back to the tree because that's oh, wow. always happened." Well, that's that's a really that's a really good story. So if you guys want to get these books, you can go to Janet's uh, website, mm-hmm. and um, she's got the Christmas books on there. She's revamped her website a little bit, and um, I'm not sure if Kevin's on the line. We have about ten minutes left Kevin? of the show. Um, okay, he's Kevin, here, are so you there? I'll him on the phone. Yep. Is he there? Hello and happy holidays. Happy holidays, Kevin. <laughs> How are you? I'm How your mother well. is it? Thank yourself? you so much. I didn't even get to thank her. She just handed the phone to you. <laughs> Maybe her voice Tell her we all enjoyed listening to much. her reading. Yeah, no. Um we have about we have probably about six or seven minutes left in the show <laughs> to talk about food and um and uh, your knives and stuff. Let's talk about your chef's knives first before we go into this. Um, Kevin is an accomplished chef, and he has decided to start a new business besides um, still cooking and creating amazing stuff. And why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your new business that you started? Well, it's kind of the creation of the original reason why I got started working with food. Initially, when I was young, I always had a desire and interest in primitive, traditional-style knives. I mean, the modern knives are effective tools and whatever, but they Mm -hmm. don't have the charm and the beauty of the primitive battle axes and swords and things like that. There's just a Mm -hmm. certain style in the pre-Civil War-edged weaponry that just doesn't exist today very much anymore. And I was always interested in that because they had a purpose and they had a certain style and elegance to them at the same time as being for oftentimes warring purposes. And got interested in working as a chef because of my appreciation for food, but also because of my appreciation for knives and things like that. Mm-hmm. And 
my grandfather on my mom's side was a machinist and a metal worker and whatever. So I had access to metal shops and things when I was growing up as a kid. So just kind of played around when I was in high school and college and that a little bit with making knives as a hobby and then got into the culinary industry because of my interest in knives and whatever, as well as other things and just took to it naturally. And now being up in the middle of, the woods and whatever it isn't a lot of opportunities for people looking for chefs here so just out of interest and in my own desires and whatever i'm like well let's get back into making some knives and it just took off literally within the last month and a half two months that i've been doing it it's just taken off incredibly exponentially insane mm-hmm. the feedback i've gotten from them and I think I think also just from your experience in cooking and stuff like that that you've done, that you probably know what people are looking for, and you're probably asking exactly. people what they want. Exactly. And in uh, you know? 20 years working as a chef, I know which steels work good for long-term use. I know which ones are mm-hmm. likely to have a stress fatigue or a crack or something like that. I know which mm-hmm. handle shapes are efficient and effective to use for the hand and things like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of practical applications that I learned from working as a chef for 20 years, oftentimes 70, 80 hours a week, that the average knife maker or knife user would never learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your website, Kevin, so people can go and if they want to custom get a custom knife like I'm getting from you, what would they do? Uh, there's two different options. Uh, the one option that I usually update the ones that are finished and whatever on is chickenhawkblades.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can go to my Facebook web page, which is just facebook.com backslash chickenhawkblades. Awesome. And the Facebook okay. site oftentimes will have the work in progress and the other projects that I'm doing, like I just finished a shillelagh for someone and I've done a few walking sticks and things like that. So that'll have the other projects that are related but not directly and the Chicken Hawk Blades website itself will be focusing just on knives. Oh, cool. That's really great. Well, you know, with the holidays and stuff, I know a lot of people really, uh, and those would make great gifts, guys. I'm getting one for a friend of mine who's a chef. For, um, it's going to be sent to her. So um, I would really um, like to hear from you because we, we're running out of time unfortunately, um, but I wanted to hear from you um, about Christmas and cooking and preparation, what you think would be really easy, quick fixes for people, and um, fun things to do for Christmas food. I think the most important thing to remember when planning for holiday meals Mm -hmm. and any type of a large event is to plan ahead. Do as much of your prep in advance as you can. Do things that have that are fairly shelf-stable and whatever like that. If I'm having more than 10 or 12 people, I'll oftentimes do things in more a cocktail party type setting and mm-hmm. set up the dinner table as a buffet table or whatever with a few chafing dishes that if you don't have any, you can get them really cheap from Amazon or whatever shipped to you direct, even at Excuse me, even if you're living in the middle of nowhere or something. So plan ahead, organize your meal so that things are fairly shelf-stable so that you can actually be attending the party. Because that's the thing that people get really stressed out over is 
constantly having to go watch the food and not enjoying it and not actually being able to be a part of the event totally can relate to that that's where the word catering comes in but Exactly. Um, so it's like you plan and I ahead and do yeah. a lot of vegetable trays and cheese trays and things like that that can be refrigerated and you can just pull them out and unwrap them to serve and things like that. I mean, do uh, do your appetizer trays and things like that that have to be heated. Do them in small pans on cookie sheets so that you can just slide them into a toaster oven at 250 or whatever at a warming temperature mm-hmm. so you can just keep them in your oven at the lowest temperature so they stay warm and just pull a new tray out as you need to on a silver tray or a foil tray or something so that it's oven safe and still serving safe. Yeah, no, totally. And another really good thing um, is you can pre-make what I found um, this, uh, you know, over the holidays because I was kind of, I've been Christmasing through the whole month so far. Um, I made cookie balls, but I put them in the freezer and then as I was ready to make them, I just took them out, thawed them out for a few minutes, and popped them in the oven, and I had amazing Exactly. Your cookies, cookies and things can totally be done. A lot of your desserts can be pre-done in advance and frozen or refrigerated because a lot of catering companies even use pre-frozen doughs and pre-packaged cookies and whatever. So there's no reason you can't, and no reason you can't from fresh cookie dough. See, it's still as good as fresh cookies and actually better than most fresh cookies because they're just out of the oven. It's like bread mm-hmm. and things, too. You can proof your bread and do that the day before, and you can do your bread a week or two weeks in advance and refrigerate it until it's ready to go and just throw it in the, pull it out from the oven, pull it out from the fridge, rather, the day before, let it proof overnight, and then just stick it right in the oven so you have fresh hot bread and whatever. No, totally. I I I get that. That's like a really that's like a really good thing to do. I think a lot of people get frustrated because they want to do new diff- different things and they don't realize that there are so many different things out there available that they can be doing. But a lot of times people get lost in that. They don't realize that um just experiment. I mean, it's it's yeah, really fun don't to be experiment. Afraid to take a risk. I've always yeah. believed the strong theory to being a successful chef is not being afraid to play with your food. Mm-hmm. Please play mm-hmm. with your food. The oh, greatest yeah. recipes come up by accident. After you work oh, with totally. food enough, you work in enough different cultures, you'll understand which flavors work together from different cultures and things. You mm-hmm. can intermingle ingredients and things and create a fusion food that still tastes original to itself, but is something that's completely original. Mhm. I I want to ask you what um what are some of your favorite um things that you like to prepare ahead of time? Um I'm a bit of a I'm a bit crazy as far as things go. I like to take the work out of things in the final service. So what I like some of the things I like to do is a lot of people have heard about the turducken and things like that. I like to take a chicken or something like that and debone it and then stuff it so that I don't have to worry about actually carving around the meat and the bones and everything like that so that I just Mm -hmm. have to cut it like a roast or whatever for service. And a lot of times your good butcher shops will be able to to provide the trimming out service for you so that you don't have to. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of, like your crostinis and canapes and things like that are really easy to do in advance. 
you can get the little pastry cups made out of phyllo that you can get advanced and you can get uh, salmon mousse or whatever from a lot of your Whole Foods market or whatever like that and just mix a little extra cream cheese in it so that it's a little softer to spread. Let it sit at room temperature with your smoked salmon in it and then just put it in a pastry bag. Or if you don't have a pastry bag, you can use a Ziploc bag or a plastic bag with a corner cut out and a tip put in the center of it. So you don't even have Mm -hmm. to have a pastry bag or whatever. So you can just pipe that in your pre-done canapé cups and you're good to go. I mean, there's a lot of things that can be done in advance that are really easy. Uh, The main thing you need to think about is if you're going to be doing bruschetta or crostini or anything like that that's a bread with some sort of a liquid on it, either Mm -hmm. do it to order or do it as a build-your-own final assembly type because the bread will get soggy really quick. Yeah, yeah. I I, I noticed that. Than having a fresh bruschetta with a really soggy bread underneath it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I recently um, learned how to make something new that I'll have to share with you once I get it down pat. It's really amazing. Um, from Molly, my friend, the chef that you're making the knife for, um, mm-hmm. she has this really amazing, it's lemon curd with... Um, fresh fruit in it and then whipped cream in it and it's all whipped together and it's so unbelievable it's like it's like heaven it's so good also don't be afraid to to push the boundaries a little bit there's uh things like uh fresh ricotta cheese and fresh mozzarella cheese and whatever are very easy to make and you can find the recipes online it takes literally less than five minutes to make uh, a fresh ricotta or a fresh mascarpone. And if you're someplace around dairy country, you can probably get raw milk from a goat farm or something down the block. So you can have it completely, totally organic and natural that's incredibly better quality than you can get at any gourmet grocer in the country. For yeah. And I think, and that's a really, that's a really good idea because, you know, a lot of times people don't realize that there's a lot of things that are available to them that they have right there in front of them. Like I saw this recipe on, um, I saw this recipe somebody was doing, and it was really super easy to make with um, stuffing. Put the stuffing in, you, you take like a um, pastry, um, like cupcake tray, and you butter the insides of them, and then you stuff um, stuffing into the bottom, like and line it, and push it down until it makes like a little cup. Mm-hmm. And then... Bake that for a few minutes, and then bring it out and put um, uh, crack an egg inside of it, and then put cheese and a little bit of um, green onions, and put that into the oven for about five minutes, and they make like little like uh, um, egg little bird nests. Yeah, they're really really good. I was really amazed. I I just was watching all this new stuff, and you know me, I love to cook, um, but. This was really fun. I was really excited to have you on today, and I'm sorry we um, ran over a little bit. I really wanted your mom to be able to read, and I want to thank Janet Elaine Smith again so much for being here today, and also Kevin and um, your new adventure, Chicken Hawk Blades. You can check that out on Facebook. Uh, For everyone listening, I want to say... Um, I hope everyone has a beautiful Christmas and um, that you're in a loving place. If you're away from family, um, 
you know, just hold them in your heart, hold the, their thoughts really close to you. Or if family have, you know, gone to the next place, just think of the really good things and the good memories that you had and create some new traditions for yourself, right, Kevin? So uh, Absolutely. And remember that if you're if someone is alive when someone passes on, whether it be to a mm-hmm. different location physically because they moved to a different location or a different spiritual location because they passed on from the physical realm or whatever mm-hmm. Remember that their spirit still lives in your memories. They're still a part of you as long as you give them the respect of being there. So just there's no reason to feel alone because they're always with you. Yep, absolutely. That's beautiful, Kevin. Thank you for saying that. And to everyone else out there, um, don't drink and drive. Um, and so um, I cab services very valuable during the holidays. Yeah. And I have a surprise song, and I'm, I was waiting, I was waiting to see if I got a text back from my friend, but um, I'm sure he's not going to get upset with me. I'm going to play. Oh, he did. Sure, he said sure. Cool. <laughs> I am going to play a song by my friend, dear friend Dean Holterman, who's in New York, who did this song. It's called "It's Snowing." And um, I'm going to play that to close the show with because I think um, it's a really it's a really cool song. Three and the country um, is getting snow right now, so it's yeah, and it's it's pretty. It's a pretty song. Listen to the lyrics. But um, I want to thank you again so much, Kevin, for being here. And with that, we're going to do a little bit of a coming back in through and. We're going to um, close the show, and we're going to play a little bit of the music oh, and stuff. Oh, and, oh, oh. oh, he just never stops, does he? Anyway, <laughs> happy Christmas to you and your mom. Okay, and with that, Indeed. we're going to close the show. And um, make sure to check out my new um, lineup. Um, I have some shows coming up. I'm taking off this Wednesday tomorrow. But um, for everyone out there, have a beautiful holiday and um, be merry and light. And bring light to wherever there's darkness. And with that, here you go. It's snowing, nowhere to be going. So I'll stay home with the ones I love. We'll be playing. Hugging and swaying Watching miracles falling from above And the jingle bells are chiming And our hearts in harmony rhyming This snowing is perfect timing With fa-la-la-la-la-la-love With fa-la-la-la-la-love Will be Christmas Day. Watch the snow fall. We hear the angels all whispering messages of faith as the fire burns and the clock hands turn. We are all in euphoric state. And the spiritual bells are ringing And all the world is singing 
goodwill and fortune we're bringing With fa la 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 With fa la 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 With fa la 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 Soon will be Christmas Day Soon will be Christmas Day The feeling of kindness all around The pureness, love is our hearts and souls Reminding us what we all know With fa la 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 love With fa la 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 love With fa la 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 love be Christmas Day Soon will be Christmas Day With fa la 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 love With fa la 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 love Soon will be Christmas Day Soon will be Christmas Day Soon will be Christmas Day Soon will be Christmas